do. Um, but I wanted to continue my message this morning. As I said, I do have that cold that's going around. So if I start to like hack and cough or any of those things, please forgive me or pray for me. How about that? Just pray for me. Uh, I may signal my daughter at some time to say I need a refill on this, this uh, tea. We're still good for now. Thanks. Um, but really excited for this, this series that we started last week called Know Your Bible and understanding the value of reading the Bible, why it matters so much to us. And, and one thing that I think can often escape us is the hundreds, if not thousands of people who have so diligently worked throughout history to make sure that we still have access and availability to the Word of God. It's an incredible gift. And and unfortunately, as we said last week, though we have greater access to the Bible than we have ever had at any point in history, desire to read the Bible is diminished more than it has ever been at any point in time in history. And so reading the, the Bible, God's Word as we might call it, is so important. In fact, James 1.21 says, that we should humbly receive the Word of God which has been implanted in our hearts. Why? Because it has the power to save our souls. Meaning, when you crack open your Bible, you're not just reading a book. It's not the same as Charles Dickens or Edgar Allan Poe or any of the other classical writers out there. If you're reading Edgar Allan Poe, please come see us for prayer afterwards. (laughs) We just want to pray over you, okay? Um, It's not like any of the classical authors or anything like that. This book is not just a book. It is the Word of God that has been given to us, and it has power in it to save our souls. But I want us to tackle a question this morning that I I get a lot, and that is, which version of the Bible is the best one? Right? Which version of the Bible is the best version of the Bible? Well, let me ask you this. Which vehicle is the best for everyone? Two services in a row. That must be, the Bible says if there are two witnesses, that's truth right there. First service, somebody else shouted Chevy. Second service, now we're, okay, praise the Lord. No, here's my question. Uh, You know, think of it in these terms. Should everyone drive a minivan? Should everyone drive a pickup truck? Should everyone drive a hatchback? Should everyone drive a sports car? No, we all have different needs in our lives And the vehicle that we choose to get us around is representative of our needs, all right? And the same is true in the the version of the Bible in which we read. It is going to be indicative of the needs that we have in reading Scripture. And I really want to unpack that for you uh, over the next couple minutes here. But I want to give you what is a top 10 list of the top 10 selling Bibles. And you're going to hold this list, right? Okay, thank you. Uh, what do you think the number one selling Bible is in the world today? King James. King James what else? NIV. NIV. All right. It is the NIV. Since March of 2013, which is officially one decade ago, right? Because we're in March of 2023, believe it or not. The NIV has been the number one selling Bible in the world. Number two is King James. Number three, the New Living Translation, the English Standard Version, the New King James Version. Then we have, oh, my bio, there we go. The Christian Standard Bible, the Reina Valera. Anybody read the Reina Valera? It's in Spanish, so you probably wouldn't. Um, the New International Reader's Version, the message, which I do poke fun of sometimes. You'll see why later, because we're going to read a little bit from the message this morning. And then the New American Standard Bible. These are the top 10 selling Bibles across 
uh, the the country and around the world. And, And here's what I want us to focus on this morning because we need to zero in on a reality of how these Bibles were translated and why they were translated the way that they were. Because there are two different ways to translate Scripture. One is to go back to the original manuscripts and to look at every single word and go word for word. Okay, this word is this word in English. We put that here. Then this word is this word in English. We put that here. That is a word for word translation. The second possibility is a concept for concept translation. That means the translators not only looked at the words that were being used, but they said, what are they trying to say to us? And how would we in English better understand that in different terms? So we translate it, not just what the word is, but what they were trying to say so that we get it. So we have word for word and concept for concept. Now I have a little diagram here to kind of show you where some of the Bibles lie in this, in this concept. So all the way to the far left, which is the absolute word for word is the interlinear Bible. The interlinear Bible has the original language with the English right next to it. That's how you read it. You probably, anybody here read Greek and Hebrew? I know we asked this last week and it kind of got messed up, but that's okay. Okay, we're going to, in just a second, we're going to look at some Hebrew. Then we have the English Standard Version. Again, one of the more literal word-for-word translations. It's going to show you exactly what the Hebrew or Greek word was or Aramaic word, and it's going to give you an English equivalent. Then we have the King James, the New King James, and right there in just about the middle is the NIV, the New International Version, which really is a a pretty good coupling of we have some word-for-word stuff, but we also have some thought-for-thought stuff. Then we go a little bit further. The New Living Translation, the New International Reader's Version, and then finally, the Message, which is absolutely just thought for thought. You'll see that in just a second here. So why this matters is because it it really depends on what you're trying to get out of your Bible study and time is going to determine where you want to go in your personal Bible study, which Bible you're going to use. And I want to practically inform you with that, give you the ability to choose a Bible that is going to work for you. Now, I do preach from and typically read out of the New Living Translation because it gives more of a thought-for-thought concept and requires maybe a little less study into the nuances of the original languages. I can just read it, and it's telling me what I need to understand. That's what I preach from. You've probably seen that before. So here's where we're going to start. I want to go into Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, Because there's a message that God gave to the prophet Habakkuk, and he says this to him, I want you to give this message to the other people. I want you to understand this. So we're going to read it first in Hebrew. All right, can somebody read that out for me? Anybody, it's fine, go ahead. I will give you a couple of hints here. Uh, Because this is Hebrew, we don't read left to right, we actually read right to left. So you start on the right side of the screen and go that way to read Hebrew. Anybody at all? All right, I'll read it. It's fine. Here we go. Katawab hazaum ober al halalukum la amanya rus kare abo. Praise the Lord. Does that does that uplift your spirit? Do you feel that on a deep level? No. Anybody want to like? What did I just say? Anybody? Okay, let's try another version. Let's go to the next page here. Let's try it in the ESV. We'll go. This is a literal word-for-word translation. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. This is the words that are being written there. Maybe a little, still harder to understand. Let's keep going. King James Version. Write the vision, make it plain upon tables. It's a different feeling, right? 
that he may run that readeth it. Now, I do want to give a shout out here to the King James Version uh, in, in this one spot here. The King James Version is the only English Bible that captures what is called the active imperative in the original languages. And that means this. When a lot of times we are translating something into English, I'll, I'll use, for example, uh, uh, see, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you, right? We read that and in the English language we're reading ask, seek, and knock. However, the active imperative says that that's not just a one-time thing, that's an ongoing thing. So instead of just saying ask, seek, and knock, it changes it to asketh, seeketh, and knocketh, meaning you have to keep doing these things. There are things that you're going to continue to do, not just one time and be done. King James is the only one that captures that. Let's go a step further. New King James. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. All right, still quite literal translations. Now we're going to get a little bit more into trying to understand the concept. New NIV, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Meaning, I want to make it plain to people and I want a messenger to be able to share it. So we're getting deeper here. New Living Translation, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. We've got two more to go and they're going to get longer because they're trying to explain the concept. New International Reader's Version. Write down the message I am giving you. Write it clearly on the tablets you use. Then a messenger can read it and run to announce it. Right? We're getting a little bit further down the road. What is it trying to explain? Then we have the Message Bible. This this always cracks me up. Write this. Write what you see. Write it out in big block letters so that it can be read on the run. There's something that feels a little unholy about reading, write it in big block letters. I mean, as a gearhead, I like a big block, but whatever. It doesn't make a whole... So again, now we're, we're going from one end of the spectrum to the other. We have the very literal original languages... We have the very literal English translation that is the word for word, but what is the message that it's trying to get across? It's telling us, he says, Habakkuk, when you give a message to the people, you need to write it down in a way that is plain for them to understand and in a way that is plain for it to be shared. This is the critical idea behind biblical translation and also in the Bible that you're going to choose to read. Now, I do want to say this. The people who translate Bibles, it's not that they just wake up one day and they go, how could we say this differently? It takes teams of scholars and doctors and everybody else who looks at these manuscripts and studies them so that they can put them into these languages and make it available to you. But ultimately, the end goal is this. Am I looking to get the very literal phrasing of what was said, or do I want to get the very concept of what they were trying to tell me? That is going to have a major impact on which Bible I'm going to choose to read. Now, here's the next step. And I'm sorry if this is boring you, but I get the microphone, so it's your problem. I want to jump into how the Bible is translated, okay? We're going to take just a few seconds here because I want you to understand this because there are five major collections of manuscripts that help us to translate the Bible. And here's what they are. The Masoretic Text which was put together in about 1000 AD, all right? 
So a little over a thousand years ago, a group of scholars got together. They took the Hebrew texts of that day that were available. They combined them together to create an English text that is now the Masoretic text. That was in 1000. Then we have the Textus Receptus. Sounds Latin, right? It is. 1500 AD is when they put that together. They compiled it. And it is the Latin version of the New Testament. All of it in plain language for that day so that people will be able to understand it. Then we have the Nestle Allen Greek New Testament, which was originally written in German, but took, again, the most available manuscripts, compiled them together. What is the consensus of what they're saying? The Septuagint is also in Greek. However, it is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. So that was compiled by a bunch of philosophers in 200 to 300 AD. Then lastly, and this is what a lot of people argue is one of the most significant archaeological finds of Christianity in the modern era, is in 1947, there was a young uh, Bedouin shepherd, and he's out and he's in an area, and he's out with his sheep, and because he's young and a little impetuous, he decides to throw a rock. Nobody knows why. He picks up the rock, he throws it, When he throws it into a cave, he hears pottery smash. And so he goes into the cave to investigate. Why did pottery smash when I threw this rock? He goes in and finds that there are these clay urns, giant clay urns all over this entire cave. And inside of them are original manuscripts of the Bible. They date all the way back to 250 BC. Here's the significance of that. That find in 1947 gave us access to manuscripts that predated our earliest manuscripts by a thousand years. Is that a long time? Right? So they began to excavate those over the next couple of years through the 1950s and then translate them into English. And here's some of the really cool things that came out of that. Number one, they found every single book of the Bible except the book of Esther. Okay? Every single book that they found when they compared it to these other texts that were a thousand years younger, right? They still lined up and said the same things. And it really speaks to the testament of how the Word of God has been preserved throughout history. And and really awesome too, because some of the critics of especially the New Testament will say, well, after Jesus came on the scene and did his stuff, they went back and they rewrote the Old Testament to make it sound like Jesus did all those things to fulfill prophecy. Sorry, that, that doesn't work because we have original manuscripts of Isaiah and Jeremiah that predate Jesus' birth by a couple hundred years. They're there. We can read them. So nobody changed anything. Now, there are subtle differences. And if you read some of these other translations, especially the New Living Translation, it will say these earliest manuscripts did not have this portion of Scripture, but they'll still read it out and write it out. And people, I've had questions. Why does the NIV take this out? Or why does the NLT say this? This is why, because they use different manuscripts to write them. And in doing so, they went back to what was sometimes the oldest. So, here's what I want to end with right here. How do you choose a Bible translation that's right for you? How do we fulfill God's challenge to Habakkuk for your life? Because the challenge to Habakkuk was this. Make it plain and make it shareable. Because none of you read Greek. None of you read Hebrew. I don't think any of you even read Latin. Let's be honest. English is getting tough. If we were to put old English in front of you, you might not be able to understand it. 
So this is why we have to continually be in the place of going back to the drawing. How do we make it accessible? And even to this day, there are teams and teams of translators who are working to get the Bible into other languages that it's not been translated into yet. Why? Because what God told Habakkuk matters. We need to make the Word of God plain, and we need to make the Word of God shareable. So here, if we're going to make it, this is the reality of making it plain and shareable, there are four things that you need to consider when looking for a Bible translation that's right for you. Number one is your purpose. What is your purpose of Bible study? Is it that you would like to see as closely as possible what the word-for-word translation of the oldest manuscripts are, then you're going to choose some of those Bibles that I showed you on that word-for-word translation side. Probably in English, you're going to look at what is the English Standard Version, that ESV, okay? If that's your purpose is to see word-for-word. If your purpose in Bible study is to say, you know what, the word-for-word doesn't mean as much to me as it does for me to really understand the concept of what it's trying to speak to me then you're going to end up on the other end towards maybe the New Living Translation or the uh, New International Reader's Version. Because I love you, stay away from the message. Okay? I'm just, it's a little too loose. Okay? Big block letters? Come on. All right? Think, sorry, sorry. Think of your purpose, okay, behind reading. Number two is your knowledge. Do you have a working knowledge of the nuances of Greek and Hebrew literature, culture, and the idioms that they might use to explain some of the things they're talking about. If you do, great. If you like to study that kind of stuff, great. Get a word-for-word translation. Dig into some of those word studies. There are great commentaries available that you can read original languages. This is what I do every single week when I'm getting ready to preach a sermon. Every sermon that I preach on a Sunday morning, I go into the original languages, I look at some of the first words, their translations, different ways that they could be understood, I read tons of commentaries to gain an understanding. That's how I prepare for a message. If you like to do that, awesome, do that. But if you're telling yourself, no, I really only have time to sit down and read a little bit, and I don't understand some of those other things, I need a Bible that makes that plain for me, then you need to look at some of those versions. Second, or thirdly, is your understanding. It doesn't do you any good to read a Bible 55 times in a row that you don't understand. Plain and simple. There are no points for that. You, you can't, you could memorize an entire Bible. Maybe you teach yourself even to learn Greek and Hebrew so that you can read that first verse that I shared with you probably the way that it was meant to be read because I'm going to tell you right now, I sounded impressive. It was terrible. If there had been somebody who literally speaks Hebrew in here, they'd be like, get that guy off the stage. <laughs> if that's your thing, go for it. But here's the reality. You can't make the second part of this true, which is he said, make it plain enough that a herald, a messenger could run with it to the world around them. You can't go to Walmart and share Hebrew with somebody. They're not going to understand. Okay? You can't stop somebody in Aldi and share Greek with them. They're not going to understand. You've got to make it plain. But if you're understand, for your own personal understanding, look for a Bible translation that is understandable to you because that's how you're going to get to this final and fourth step is application. And we're going to dive more into this next week. Application is a critical part of Bible reading. It is taking what I've read, what I've understood, and then applying it to my life. Now, if I don't understand it, how can I apply it? If I'm reading a Bible, and listen, 
there's a reality. There are a number of you in this room. I've talked to you. I've had conversations with you. You tell me you struggle to understand the Bible. You find it boring and difficult to read. Here might be the problem. You might need a different translation that makes it more understandable for you. That doesn't mean you're dumb. Stay away from the message. It doesn't mean you're dumb, okay? It just means that you need the concepts. Your brain is wired in a way in which, no, I need the concept, not the words. I need to know what the Bible's saying, not the words that are being used. Find that translation because if you don't understand it, you can't apply it. And that's why this matters. It's not just, hey, whatever Bible's thrown at me, I'll just read that one because you might not get it. You might read, you know, maybe you stop in a hotel, and I don't know if they still do this, the, the uh, Gideons put the King James uh, Bibles in every hotel in America. You might crack open a, open a King James Version Bible, and you try to read it, and you cannot make sense of it at all. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the King James Bible. It just means it's not plain for you. Find a translation that's plain for you, and apply that to your life. If you don't have a Bible, okay, or you have a Bible that you don't understand, come and see us. We would love to help you with this because, as I said in the beginning, James 1.21 says, the Word of God has the power to save our souls. I believe in that power. Do you believe in that power? And that power is going to be useless if you don't understand it and don't apply it. So that is why this is so important to us, why I'm taking the time to do this on a Sunday morning and teach you a college-level class. You each get three credits for this. It's awesome. <laughs> Your Bible degree is on its way. You, are, you, you don't even know. We need this because it, it brings value to us. So I want to encourage you in that. If you don't have a Bible that works for you to find a different translation, if you need help finding a Bible that is going to be more understandable, you come see us. We want to help you with that. If you have a smartphone, does anybody in here have a smartphone? Three of you? So everybody else went to sleep is what I'm understanding. If you have a smartphone, again, I said this last week, but it is the, one of the greatest resources I've come across, the Version Bible app. Y-O-U version app. If you search it, it's available for Android, which I don't know why they don't work, but Apple as well. Um, you can get that and download it. It has great resources for Bible. It has nearly every translation available for you in the Version app. It has Bible study tools. has devotionals that you can read. Uh, if you have a smartphone, it's there for you. You can use it. But again, I say this, God's challenge in Habakkuk was this, write it down and make it plain and make it shareable because you can't share what you don't understand. So get into the word of God. If you don't know where to start, start at the book of John, read to the end, skip Revelation because I love you. You won't understand it. It's very confusing. But get into the word of God and you don't have to read 25 chapters, read five verses in a Bible that you understand, that you can apply, that you can share, and let it change your life. Know your Bible, because it has the power to give life to your soul. All right? All right?